possibly was Skadrovsky, um, but I'm not entirely 100% sure. Dude, like that to... sounds awesome, though. Skadrovsky? <laughs> Come on, dude. Like, you walk in the room. It, it's like, are you wearing your, Skad, are you wearing your Skadrovsky? <laughs> Skadrovsky. It means, uh, it means bare-chested Viking from Eastern Europe. I don't know. <laughs> the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. You know, most last names come from your profession, right? Whenever, whatever year that was, whatever point in time, you know, last names were, were created from, you know, your surname was created from what you did you know like especially in in uk and and other english-speaking countries like you know my my um mother's maiden name is fowler right so you can assume that they were probably raising chickens or or some type of bird or fowl right or you know smiths were blacksmiths and and coppersmiths and and you know bronze smiths and all these other smiths right so what's a scadra what is Skadra? What is that? What's that uh, translate to? I need to look that up. You know, what was a Skadra in uh, in Slovakia or Czechoslovakia at the time? Well, I think my last name Starbuck. It's like there's too many assumptions, but uh, if that's the case, <laughs> I have no clue. I mean, what what were my generation just staring at this sky? <laughs> we said, you know what? We didn't find anything. Might as well make some damn coffee. <laughs> Well, the word Starbuck had to come from somewhere. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it seems like the, the, I don't know if the coffee brand was named after there, somebody. Or uh, actually, that story comes from the book Moby Dick. And um, it started in Seattle. And that was the original Starbucks uh, right there at the market. Um, right. Uh, whatever, they throw the fish right there, the fish market there. And um that right there uh, was where they started the first Starbucks. The story is actually pretty good. Um, I read the book and, and the, the story on how he created Starbucks was really not, he wasn't Starbucks. He, he actually went in and prop, you know, proposed something to this company and kind of, did you see, um, uh, was it uh, upset, upsize or size, uh, size up with the McDonald's movie that had um, out? Yeah, um, Supersize Me. Supersize Me. me. Uh, That movie right there was a great example, I think, of um, uh, here here is a model, and then here's how somebody decided to scale it, right? That was just, I think, a great example. I think that that's the same thing that really happened with Starbucks. It was a proposed concept and then said, well, we can just multiply what we already have. For sure, for sure. Well, we're missing on some gold here, man. (laughs) Well, you didn't know I was already recording. Love it. So I am excited. Uh, let's go ahead and kick it. We are live now uh, here with Jeff Skadra. And um, thank you so much for coming on the Moved uh, Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. And I'm excited to have you on here and tell your story. So good to have you here, my friend. Thanks for having me. I love coming on these things. It's great to just chat and talk and, uh, and see where it goes. So one of the things um, I would say, uh, we are at some current events right now. And I think that anybody that's in business, uh, are you watching any of this uh, AMC? Are you watching any of these uh, coins and, and um, GameStop? Are you following any of that? Uh, I am a little bit. Uh, you know, I jumped into uh, cryptocurrency late last year. Um, so I'm not too much too ingrained in the markets, but those markets affect the, the crypto markets a little bit from what I've been seeing. 
Um, uh, so I'm, I can't say that I'm like 100% up to speed on everything that's going on other than there's Reddit users involved and there's the SECs involved and there's a there's a huge shit storm just going on somewhere in there. And I think that this ties right into our entrepreneurial spirit, right? And maybe um, we can talk a little bit about one of the things that you have on your shirt even right now, it's focus. And I think it'd be interesting to open up the dialogue because we have all of this trading and we have all these things, but we really have a business focus as well. So what do you see um, in the marketplace right now with so many things going on? I mean, you can do Bitcoin, you can do, you can do day trading, you can run an agency, you can resurrect a company that you have coming out of COVID. What are you seeing in people mentally right now in business? I feel like in the last year, and I know that this, you know, I live a lot in Facebook and sometimes there's a, there's, you know, you you create, you're in these microcosm that face Facebook creates, you know, like you like one thing, so it's going to show you all that stuff. So you're only really seeing a microcosm, not necessarily everything that's going on in the world, but from what I've seen and what I hear and, and from the explosion of, of what's been happening this past year, that everybody wants now feels like it is possible to go do my own thing, right? There's so many people, you know, being in coaching, um, there just seems like there's a coach for a coach. There's a joke, right? There's a coach for a coach for a coach now um, because the, the coaches who were coaches are now coaching the coaches of, <laughs> I'm getting myself confused there, of the, yeah, of the people yeah, who true. need to be coached, right? And so now there's, and because of that, there's, all of these different specialties coming out, you know, so and I could even start to begin to name all the different type of niches that are that are popping up because there's niches within niches. And, and that's, that's what I see happening. That's why it's explosion. That's what I see is the opportunity that now people who once felt like they were stuck in a job, who, who can't do it, or someone who's in a business who felt like, there's just no opportunity for me here locally. Now, all of a sudden, this digital explosion just happened last year and everybody just realizes, oh, wait a minute, you mean I can do this online? Like, you know, it was there the whole time, but it took us being um, confined to our homes and to our, our digital spaces to communicate with each other for people to just realize like, yeah, like I, I can see myself doing this. So that's what I see happening anyway. And as far as, as how, you know, where the market's focused, like it's, for me, it's just a lot of digital opportunity, um, which isn't really focused, but it, it's more so than it was. I mean, I'll, I'll take, for example, Zoom uh, and meeting like this, right? I think in 2019, uh, people were still very apprehensive about video, um, video chatting and video meeting, sure, even though it's sure. been around for 10 years prior, sure. right? I've been, I've been video chatting and we've had, uh, you know, when I worked at, at different corporate locations, uh, different corporate companies, we've had that since uh, 2000, I don't even know, like, you know, early 2000s yeah. at least. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's commonplace. And just like that, just overnight, you know, Zoom stock probably. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of just, and I don't want to use this word, but it, it, uh, I don't use the word limiting beliefs, but th there is a, um, I'll kind of share a quick story. I, um, I do a lot of work overseas uh, in outsourcing and things like that. And when I um, bring on someone, I have a funny story I always share. And that is basically, you know, I sat on, I, I sat on with a guy for, I think, eight months when I started doing this 
on Skype. And one day I couldn't figure out a problem. And he's like, well, why don't you go ahead and call me? And I was like, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> like, right. It didn't even cross my mind, right? It was like, how can I do it? So um, I think that that brings up a good point. It's, it, and maybe we can go back a little bit further and we can talk a little bit about your story. But being an entrepreneur is all about opportunity. And I think that that's what's happening. It's just becoming so available to do something that you have the opportunity to say, look, maybe I, ha I can build something small while I have my current career, or maybe there is actually a map to help me have my own entity. My question, I guess, for you is there's that little spark that happens in people. I have found that we all kind of had it at one point. It's just someone took that action when they were younger. What was the first entrepreneurial dollar that you made. <laughs> I'm going to dig for you, buddy. I'm digging. Uh, good. I was in third grade, believe it or not. I have a third grade entrepreneur story. So we were uh, big into paper football. Uh, you know, the little triangle, you fold it into a triangle and then you, you slide it back and forth on the table and you try to get it over on the edge. And if it goes over the, on the edge, then it's a touchdown. Yeah. And then you get to do the cool thing, which is you put the uprights and you get to <laughs> flick it and hopefully it doesn't sure. you know, poke an eye out or something. So we got into playing that uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. And so um, my mother, and uh, if you want to go way back, we can talk about my childhood, but uh, let's, my mother let's always did <laughs> my mother always instilled creativity in me. Uh, she was always, you know, showing me new things to, to try and do. So I think some of that came out, you know, and having, having been someone who, who liked to draw as a, as a kid, that created creativity came out. And I said, um, well, these paper footballs kept obviously kept getting ruined and kept, uh, kept being destroyed. So I went home and I re-engineered the paper football, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because uh side story like they just started coming out with like you know commercially grade paper sure, footballs and sure yeah I, I just started seeing them in the market so i'd go home and i would decorate them right with our with our favorite football teams i'd, I'd ah, do the logos yeah. on there i'd color them I'd, I'd with markers and all this other stuff after i folded them <laughs> then i just wrap them in packing tape clear packing tape and and so now they became these these uh this commodity that wouldn't get destroyed as much and i went in and i said you know basically asked people for their milk money and i made i don't know probably between five and 25 cents per for football and and that led to me like bringing in i was like what else can i sell so i started bringing in toys and little dinosaurs and yeah my mom wasn't too happy about that so that was my first that was my first entrepreneurial uh ex experience and so do you think, do you think that um, in your experience, um, because you do work with the entrepreneur, I mean, you, you work with, um, at this point, you work with agencies to scale them. And I think that what uh, my question would be is, what are some commonalities do you think that we see in entrepreneurs that are common at a young age? And I think one of the ones that may, I'll just throw one out there, but I think one of them is you just said artistry. And I think that there might be this sense of um, wanting to create a painting and not always do you know what it is, but you want to see this painting come alive. And I think maybe there's, there's something there about connecting those two and eventually wanting to get into business. Because I had quite 
the same kind of experience, except for I was, uh, I think I was in fifth grade and um, everybody was doing, do you remember those old lanyard like bracelets everybody would make? Oh yeah, I made those two friendship bracelets. You got them, yeah. So I went into straight production on those things, you know, but I think I was in fifth grade and I remember just going home and they had transferred, I think from, they were doing the, the cotton ones. Do you remember the ones that you would kind of, and then you had the plastic ones. Do you remember the plastic ones? Yeah, I actually did the braided kind. Uh, yeah, that's, and then you braid them all yeah. and then you, you'd finish them up and then you'd try to make like a keychain or something like that. But that was my first, you know, production line, right? I mean, it, it didn't go very far, but that was the first sense. And I think, I, I don't know what your background was if your family are entrepreneurs, um, but I think maybe there's some reflection there too. Like there's, you're reflecting somebody at elementary that maybe you're trying to mimic in the, in the outside world. <laughs> what do you yeah. think? Well, for me, um, and, and I do, I, I see this commonality in other people. I think uh, the way that I always sort of describe myself and, and talent is uh, a creative problem solver. So it's like, um, and I don't know if, if this, this type of personality is the same through, throughout different entrepreneurs, but it's almost like a, it's part creative and part logical, right? And, and so it's a bit of uh, of knowing that there's a problem that, that you need to solve and knowing that you can do it, right? And, and I think that's kind of the, the trait that I see a lot is that these, these people, these entrepreneurs, us as entrepreneurs, don't really see any impossibility. You know, it's just, we see, we see an opportunity, we see a problem that needs solved, uh, we see something and we know, we know that we can figure it out even if we don't know the exact path to get there. Right, you know, despite what our backgrounds are, despite anything else, we know we have enough. Uh, we we feel confident enough in ourselves that we can move forward and push forward and do it. And and so I think confidence plays into that too. Even though I'll self-admit that my confidence levels have gone up and down over the years, but I think there's definitely starts from a place of confidence and it starts from a place of um, believing in yourself. You know, that's believing in yourself and knowing that you can solve that problem. Um, I'm just trying to think like out loud, just people that I know here locally, like friends of mine who are like, you see them popping up and just starting to do things, right? Like they've, they kind of had that, that entrepreneurial spirit before, but, but now all of a sudden I'm starting to see, see them, right? I'm starting to see them show up and they may have dabbled here and there, but now all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's, there's a reality here. Oh, somebody will actually buy from me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I don't know exactly what their stories are, but they're probably seeing some, some light there, right? Like this is possible. And I think sometimes that's, that's the thing that holds people back who have the entrepreneurial spirit, who, who aren't quite sure because they maybe just don't quite have enough of that confidence and they need that proof to know that something's going to happen. Something's going to result from this. Um, and once they do, then I think it opens up and it's like, you know, anything's possible. But then, you know, there's, as you know, there's more roadblocks than that first one that you got to push through. Now, do you think, um, this might sound interesting. Do you think quality become, comes before, uh, do you think quality comes before sales? Or do you think selling and then making your product better is a better move? Or do you find people getting stuck in the idea of creating quality and then not being able to? Yes, I, including myself, perfectionism is, is a tricky one to get over. 
because it is a balance. It's not, I don't think, I personally don't feel like you can like, let's say the extreme, right? You have absolutely nothing and you're gonna go sell it and then kind of make up the difference after you sell it. I don't feel like that's the best path forward, but I also feel like you don't have to have that perfection. So in coaching, for instance, um, something that I thought, so the belief that I thought had to happen was I thought that I had to have it all figured out. And so what I personally did in with Focus First is I went out before, before I even started with agencies, I just said, um, how would I scale a business? How, what would I do to improve a business? So kind of working a little bit back into my story that throughout my career, throughout owning an agency, uh, having sold an agency and um, then working for various corporate level companies and the company that, that acquired my agency, all the time, I always felt like something was missing, something was wrong, something's not right within this. And, and a little bit of that's my, that, that desire for perfectionism of it to be perfectly sure. aligned, maybe a little OCD in there somewhere. Sure. Um, and so I, that's what I did. I was like, okay, let's take all that experience and let's put it down on paper and say, what are the exact steps that I need to do to help a business? And I feel like it was important that I had to do that but I almost felt like, like I actually created a workbook and, and went, because I have a design background too. So I just went and spent two weeks and just created this booklet and did it. And, uh, and I think it helped me, but it also potentially hurt me because it took me a while to really get moving after that, right? So I would work with one company, I'd work with another company and I was always like, felt like it wasn't quite there, it wasn't quite there, it wasn't quite there, but I was helping people. They were getting ahead and they were, they were I was providing results to them but what I'm seeing now is that, and so when I trans, let's say, when I transitioned into agencies, somebody taught me and said, don't worry about it being perfect. Like you have enough, you know enough of, you're way more ahead than most people are, first of all. And don't worry about it being perfect and then going out and selling it because, and I'm glad I didn't because, you know, my first, I don't know, three to four clients or so, I learned a tough, a ton about what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, what could be an upsell, you know, what was the minimum viable. Um, if I hadn't done that in that way, then I wouldn't have the program I have today that's now more repeatable and I know exactly what it is that needs to happen to scale an agency. Um, and it's, it's just tough. I think a lot of times people don't, they just don't show up. You know, and I have friends who are kind of stuck in that direction mm. and they're, they're stuck there because they just don't know how to move forward and they want the message to be perfect and they want the, the avatar to be perfect and they want all the stuff because then they, they believe that when everything's perfect, then I'm going to get ads, I'm going to do everything, and everything's going to fall into place. Ah, well, it's not. Yes. It, it's, you're going to end up doing the same thing that, that I did which is you figure it out as you go. There's still going to be stuff that you have to figure out. So it's, it's never, I don't know that it's ever going to be perfect, right? But I mean, I, I've come to accept that. And that was a tough pill for me to swallow. And I think that what you're also bringing up is a really good point. And that is um, maybe this discussion that we could have now, because I think that in business, I go through this now too. I think that a lot of it is the insecurity to be able to fix that problem quickly so you feel like you're going to be stuck on that issue 
So for example, if you don't, if, if you go out there and you don't have a, a way of taking in negative criticism and then, and then actually like putting it through something to then get it to the other end, because we know that when we start a business, because there's people that will be watching this that have said, look, I've been in business for 20 years. Well, there's a few things here. They're going to shift for you too, my friend. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like what we had talked about, the shift of Zoom and all those things. There's new confidence areas that you need to create confidence in. And I think that it's as we're moving through this entire process, people either are feeling like they're getting reset again. So let's say that, for example, you had a business and you were doing fencing or something. You were selling all these fencing and people, um, the fence packaging that you did, you just started and then the guy calls you and he's like, you mess this and mess up that up. If you don't have somebody to help you go, okay, that's how you fix it. What have you found in derailing focus after that? Like, what, how, how would you look at somebody and say, okay, how do you create a map that allows you to actually fix the problem so that you don't get stuck? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I guess for myself, like I, you know, despite having having a, a fluctuation of confidence from here and there, I was always confident that I I knew that I could always figure it out. Whatever problem mm -hmm. came to me, I would figure out. But there's, and I don't know if I'm going to answer your question with this, but something that came to mind for me was was fear. Right? I think that that's a big reason why why we we focus on perfectionism sure because we fear this idea of failure we fear that like what you said like you're going to go into that situation and you're going to come against you're going to come up against a, a, a customer that doesn't like what you do or whatever you did didn't work or or worse you know or did worse you know caused caused some sort of calamity and there's a big fear around that. And I think that's why perfectionism happens. And so, uh, again, I, I think I'm derailing your, your, your question here a bit, but there's something well, I think, I I think that what you're, you're right. I think you nail it. It is in fear. And I, I think that one of the things that is fascinating is um, where I was kind of getting with that is you, you start a business and because I've been here as well, you start a business and the first two people have something to say and you attach those two people's answer to the community. Right. Yeah. You think that's everybody's opinion all of a sudden. Yeah. And I just, I just went through this with a client so that um, it's super easy to let one experience create the, the new um, uh the, what's the word I'm looking for? The new level, right? The the set point. That's what I'm looking for, to create the new set point. So he just um, hired uh, a salesperson in a different city. He had been doing sales within a region and, and had not broken out of the region. He had the opportunity to uh, try out somebody new in a different city, many many states away. It failed, um, and it didn't work. And he let that person go, unfortunately. <clears throat> and so he immediately went to thinking of other solutions to get to the goal that he wanted to get to instead of looking at that and realizing that is the solution it just happened to not work in that particular time so we went through a bit of a mindset exercise where i told him like look this just because it happened once doesn't make it the new set point doesn't make it the norm that it's going to happen again and again and again 
That just means we need to figure out a new system to help you to not have that happen again. Learn from your mistake, move on, and figure out a better way, what, what didn't work, and, and how do you correct that next time? So, um, and so it worked for, I mean, that, he's moving forward into that now, and he believes, he believes that that is the, the right way forward, is to continue to try to do that, even though there's a possibility it could fail again. I think one thing, and I, I've learned this through the past, is that when you start something new and you're gonna get criticism on it, um, also be aware of who's criticizing you. Sure. And I, and I think that um, if you can take that step back and look at who, just as who that person is, I think that many times you might say, that's not really the person I was wanting to work with anyways. I just wanted their money. <laughs> oh yeah, that happens all the time, especially, and you, as an agency, as any business owner, you, you grow from a startup to, you have to do that, right? You have to take money to, to move forward, but there becomes a certain point in your growth that you have to stop doing that and it's become a habit, you know, and once it's, once it's a habit, then it's hard to, to break that. Um, and not only a habit, but you get in, if you're talking logistics and financials, right, you're, you've, you've created your business in a certain way that it just becomes hard to let go of that um, certain amount of, of revenue uh, or not take on new revenue. So I think there becomes, I mean, starting to get into the whole thing of, of how, to, how to grow and scale business, but um, that becomes a very difficult thing to, to kind of get there and do. Would you say, um, is, every, is every business scalable? I like to believe so. <laughs> um, I think it's just a matter of finding out what's working. Um, you know, there's, there's a formula to it. There's, there's a bit of a formula and it's, um, it's, oops, it's a bit of focus to be honest um, and getting into my methodology. Um, what I believe and why I call my business focus first is because I believe that is the thing that that's kind of the missing piece. And to, to back up where that came from, um, when I was naming this consultancy, this business that I'm doing now, I kind of asked myself, I said, what, you know, which is, which is 2X agency, correct? That's the program. The name of the business, the, the name of the business is actually focus first. And then the program is called 2X agency accelerator. Um, anyway, so we can get into why if you, if you want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. I, I but like I, and so that the, the term, the name focus came from the fact that I, I look back and reflected upon my business when I, I was an agent and I didn't really talk about this, but I was an agency owner for seven years and, and grew it up from, from nothing from myself into, uh, uh, you know, about a six person plus three to four remote employees, um, you know, definitely respectable. Yeah. And, but the whole time, you know, and at the end, I figured it out, but like, what was the thing, what was the commonality throughout everything? You know, was it the fact that I didn't get enough clients at the beginning? Was it the fact that I didn't have systems? Was it my team? You know, all these symptoms that, that plague businesses, but the commonality with all of that was there was no focus. I was not focused on a single market, you know, a niche. I was not myself. I was not focused. I was DIY. I was doing everything myself. Mm. I had grown from freelancer up to a C what I thought was a CEO, but it was really a DIY. It was a chief everything officer. And 
And so there was no focus there. My team didn't have any focus, you know, because there was no focus of who we were helping. So we we're helping everybody. So that was super chaotic. And so that's the thing that resonated with me that was like, yeah, I just, I just didn't have, I didn't have focus. And that, because I didn't have focus, my company didn't have focus. And so is a is every business scalable? Yeah, I believe so. I believe if they have the right focus and they're in the right places, then they, it is 100% scalable. I don't care if it's a cupcake company, it's a bakery, it's a, you know, I'm trying to think of something really small. It's a, it's a um, paper football <laughs> enterprise. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah. you know, the thing, you know, kind of kind of a parallel story there. I went from paper footballs to uh, origami balloons. And so I like I, I diversified way too soon. I could have owned I could have owned the paper football. You could have owned the paper football market. Did you ever <laughs> did you ever do the staple that you try to get weight and you would add a staple? We would have. Oh, where were you? Where were you in third grade? We could have been. <laughs> we we could get have the, we get that extra weight coming through. Well, here, here's an interesting transition. I think you said it a couple of ways here because I think that those that have agencies, I think that they have one, they understand it, but there's also a thing of coaching, right? And I think that um, what do you see the difference between those that say they have an agency and maybe what does that mean? And then the difference between that and saying this is a coach, because I think people, they're seeing both, you know, oh, here's an agency, here's a coach. And not only that, one thing that you're noticing fairly quickly is that the person that you choose to go with is not the person that has the high rise building anymore. Are you seeing a lot of that? Like, come on right. to my office, you know, sit on down. Would you like some tea? You know, it's, I mean, it feels good, but it was almost like that office was part of the closing process. Well, yeah, my first, the first coaching program I went into that kind of set me on the path was Sam Ovens consulting.com. And, uh, and he, all of his advertising is, and I, he had to have like rented that space because it looks like too perfect. Right. It had like a motorcycle in it, didn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Some kind of like, it was like a motorized bicycle, like an antique. It was rad. (laughs) Yeah. It was super cool. But yeah, he was just sitting in that high rise. It was like perfect. And I was like, how do I, how do I make my, my, you know, I think, I think he's 60 million or a hundred million a year now. I mean, he's, he's up, he's, yeah, he's getting, he's, I would say he's got to be getting close to a billion if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, um, forget what the question was. So Um, the difference between coaching and agency, because I, coaching and agency. Yeah. So the, the, um, well, for one, I think the term agency is slowly dying if it's not dead already. People are still calling themselves agency. Um, but because of the advent of all this explosion of, of people who are out there doing, you know, specializing in Facebook ads and, and SEO and, and so many more specialists in marketing, that the term agency, like I, I've talked to people that they're like, yeah, I don't have an agency, but yet they have they're in marketing and they have employees, but they don't refer to themselves as an agency. Um, so start, that's, it's a trend that's starting, starting to happen, but, uh, but a coach, uh, you know, so a marketing coach there, you're going to see that too, is just somebody who is helping you do it, right? They're not doing it for you. They're helping you do it. And, and there's actually some, some agency coaches who are coaching agencies to offer done with you, 
um, services like that, right? To, to actually become more of a coach for a company rather than doing, doing it done for you. Um, so I think, you know, that, that's, what, that's what I'm seeing out there right now um, and what the difference is between an agency. An agency is more, you know, traditional, like we have a team. Um, we typically have more than one service, you know, there's, even if we do SEO, we may also do websites and, you know, a few other pieces. Uh, mo more often than not, the people I work with offer multiple services. Um, whereas a coach is just helping you figure out the, the strategy and, and do that. I actually really don't see too many, like just marketing coaches, mostly just companies and agencies who are, who are doing it for you, uh, who you would previously have, uh, have classified as an agency. I, and I think that um, this might be interesting transition as well is um, looking back, uh, I like to always say the old school to the digital new school. I've used that tagline for a long time. Um, and I had, I started my first agency in 2010. And um, what, what was it that you were, that you started your agency with? Because I think this is also important for people that are not an agent, like for those that are not aged, they're, they're businesses. I think it's also important to understand that there's this underground thing going on underneath them. You know, there's just whole little, it's almost like all these digital people are like the people under the ocean <laughs> and, and there's just this whole world going on. And if you have a business, you're like, wait a minute, you know, I, it's almost like, remember the cameras used to carry those around for years. And now, now, now you have access to these cameras. I think what's happening is there's this huge sense of it's not blocked. The information is not blocked anymore. And so they're seeing everything in front of them, but there's this whole world underneath us, right? So what were, what were you doing back then to get customers? And what was your service that you originally started with? Yeah, and you know, this, this actually plays into the story of, of focus and the, kind of the folly that, that I made along the way. But when I first started, so I started out in graphic design and uh, started my career in graphic design out of college. And I worked for agencies in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and commuted there and slowly um, uh, figured out I didn't like commuting. And um, so decided to find a job closer to home and I found a university and who had government sponsored programs and I got to work for NASA and EPA and MSHAW and Homeland Security and all these really cool projects for, for governments. And so, um, it, it, and the reason why I say this is because I wasn't the only in-house designer. So I was basically the go-to for any marketing. Mm. And so, you know, being that creative problem solver, I taught myself everything anything and everything that came my way or that I had an idea about that I would pitch and say, Hey, why don't we do this? Why, why don't we do video? Why don't we do websites? Why don't we do trade shows? You know, anything that was creative, like I figured out and, and brought to the table and, and slowly did that. So that all led to, to me creating my agency when um, the government earmarks, they decided they ran some, changed something in Congress and the money changed. And all of a sudden they were like, you know, or I think what happened was the, the, congressman got voted out a new congressman came in and that congressman had funded all of this for years and years and the new one was like no we're, we're moving all that money somewhere else <laughs> and so we all slowly lost our jobs um but so, i had my so, I had kind of say you, so you started this out of necessity yeah so i i was already freelancing at that time and doing lots of different things so that led me to start uh, so where i started was in design was in creative so it was called um uh, what was it called when it first? It was just called GS Creative when I first started, and then 
uh, a year or two after it became Catchpoint Creative. And so that's where we started, but then I, I slowly started adding, I slowly started stacking services because um, in order to get more clients, I felt like I needed to, to be diversified and be able to do more things for more people. And then that was the correct way to make more money. So because again, I was that DIY problem solver and I, I dabbled in web and feel, I was like, okay, I'm gonna learn WordPress, right? WordPress was just kind of evolving as a, as a, as a website platform. It was from a blog to, to a website platform. So I learned how to do that myself. 2007, um, seven, eight. Yeah, that, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I think that's about when, when I um, launched, uh, launched Catchpoint Creative. I think it was 2008. Um, just a side note, and, just a side note, one of the things that changed that um, when, when anybody that would contact their web developer, um, this is where the big shift happened, right? You'd contact your web developer and be like, Hey, I need to get this thing changed at the top of my website. Well, what people didn't know is that you had to go in there. And if you had 50 pages, you had to change every single page so that it reflected. Yeah. Right. And it was like HTML and things like that. So when WordPress, and I think WordPress is up in the 30% range of all websites at this point right now. Oh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I that's massive. I mean, that's a massive chunk. But um, what WordPress did was they changed that. You could make one move and then it would change everything across the platform. So anyways, I thought that was like during that time, like what an interesting transition as well, right? Because people were like, yeah. wow simplicity yeah there was a way there was a way to do it with other coding but it took a lot of coding to get to that point in order to to do that templatized stuff and this was so much easier so i um and i had a boss who um a bit of a visionary as far as like knowing especially in technology like he could always kind of see what was coming and uh and i'm going to get on a tangent here so but i know Let's we have it. plenty of time <laughs> um he he was someone who always kind of saw uh, kind of future forward and uh, and 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 he had Apple stock like before Apple was really booming and so he just he always sort of knew and he brought that to my attention he was my boss at the time and he said why don't you check out WordPress I think there's something to WordPress and I, I looked at it and I was like I don't know I don't know and then again I came like two years later when I had my agency I was like I'm gonna look at this again and sure enough like by that time things were Things were kind of booming and templates were starting to come out. Um, but on, on another side note, he introduced me to, um, oh, what was that online uh, virtual um, virtual community? Um, oh, shoot. No, I can't remember the name of it. Um, Second Life. Mm. Have you heard of Second Life? I had not. So sidebar story. He introduced me to this. We actually applied for government grants in order to do work on this virtual platform and build out education um, education platforms in this virtual Second Life platform. So it was Got a place it. where you create an avatar. And if you ever seen Ready Player One, it was basically like the first version of Ready Player One, where you could go to different worlds and you could do different things. You could actually gamble. You could actually talk to people. You could go to events. And so we were with a local universe, working with a local university to do virtual online mm. training. Since it didn't get, we didn't get the funding for it though. Mm. Um, so anyway, back to back to the agency stuff. So I, I started stacking these services, and 
So for a few years, I learned everything about WordPress. And so we did WordPress, we did design, we did branding, we did logos, we did brochures, all the stuff that goes with what you feel like is a traditional agency, like what you're aspiring to be that Madison Avenue agency. And a few years after that, I was introduced to HubSpot. And so HubSpot was only a few years old at that point. Mm -hmm. I think four, I maybe that. four years old, yeah. And I looked into that and I was blown away. I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. Like it does everything, right? And no one's doing this. So we started diving in, became a HubSpot partner and started diving into HubSpot. And, and HubSpot does a lot of things. Even back then, it did a lot of things. Like it does, you know, you have social media, you have content, you have... Uh -huh web you have all these things that it was you know crm scheduling mm -hmm. yeah we just started stacking another set of services we were small at that point i think at that point i only had like three employees and here we're trying to do social media and website and content design and branding and copywriting and all these things and guess who was doing most of it <laughs> this guy right here <laughs> the old two thumb rule this guy yeah i had two people doing it this guy and this guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did, have, and, I, and I had a few other good employees that were helping with it. But, um, and so that started the, the lack of focus. And that really started to get me to a point where it became every, every year, every time I, it became difficult and difficult. And so going back to your question around like, how did I get clients? I felt like that was the best way to get clients because Anybody who'd come in my door, I'd be able to say, you need, you need, uh, you know, this thing, I got it. You need social media, I got it. You need copywriting, I got it. You need a logo, I got it. And I didn't know anything about systems or, or scaling at that point. And it just was, every proposal was completely new. Every proposal was completely different. And it became hard, which, which ultimately led to becoming hard to find clients, to, to find customers, because you know, looking back, I never really knew who to go after, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think I, what I, what I did was I defaulted to websites because that's what most people wanted and needed. Mm -hmm. Digital and social was still pretty new and, and businesses didn't really, only some of the bigger businesses realized it was something that was an advantage. And I did get a few clients that way. Um, and so where, it was, where, really where was the bottleneck to that? Because there had to have come a point as you were going through this journey, it was of, everywhere. I mean, the the bottlenecks were. I think I read something about it. Was, I think I read something about like you were talking about Groundhog's Day or something like that. And it, it, it. <laughs> I, I think that. Um, yeah, I can't take credit. I can't take credit, but uh, somebody somebody turned me on to this analogy of uh, you know a lot of times we're using the term hamster wheel. You know, a lot of coaches and and not everyone's heard this, but a lot of people are are, are using the term hamster wheel because. Um, what you get into is this constant just churning and you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. So um, the Groundhog Day analogy is just like that. It's like the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, which is one of my favorites. And, and I love Bill Murray. And I think I've seen that movie at least 10 times and it's still hilarious great. every single great. time. Great. <laughs> and, and we all know, most of us know the premise of that, right? He, he goes to um, see Punk's Tawny Phil and he he goes in pennsylvania to to see the groundhog come out and see his shadow or not and what ends up happening is he wakes up every single day he wakes up the next day and it's still groundhog day wakes up the next day still groundhog day no matter what he does constantly every single day same thing day in day out same thing day in he's never really moving forward 
you know, he's he's gotten to the point he's stagnated. And I'm probably missing the the deeper uh, existential message behind it. But yeah. but as it relates to business, it's the same thing that I see happening with with a lot of my clients. That's the same thing that happened with me. Is I got to that point where I I was just running on that hamster wheel day in day out. I was was waking up every single day and and you really didn't even know which day it was. Right? It was just they just all start to run together. And you're just hustle, you know, it's, it's hustle, hustle, hustle. And once you get to a certain point, that hustle just doesn't work for you anymore. Yeah, sure. You gotta, you gotta get up and you gotta do the work and stuff, but just pure hustle doesn't work for you anymore. And it's not going to get you off the hamster wheel. It's just going to make that hamster wheel go faster and faster. And so what I really figured out was focus was, you know, really starting to, and I, I didn't really know that's what it was at the time but i really started to to say okay seems like websites are working well for us right so let's do that more mm -hmm. you know we we were we got really good at building wordpress sites you know we had a really good process for how we you know we, we used a kind of a, a templated version first or we went out and found you know a template and we we, based on that layout, we would create a brand new design for it and we would have somebody go and, and, and take that design and put it into WordPress and then we'd fill in all the content and do any of the ancillary work like co copywriting that, that they needed for it um, and or branding. And so we slowly formed this standardized process and created fulfillment system behind it. And now all of a sudden it became much easier because people started to know us. We really at that point weren't really doing much marketing, but people started to know us for the fact that we could do really good websites, right? And really cool websites and websites, not only that, but websites that they could manage because of WordPress. Mm -hmm. That was a huge advantage, right? It was like, what, you mean I can go in and I can make changes and you can teach me? Like people love that. Um, and so that started to make, to kind of help us get off the hamster wheel. I'm not saying it, it, you know, for, for us, for me, it took me a good three years before I kind of started realizing what was happening and then start to apply that to other areas of the business. And then now that was, where, um, that now that was that your first solid business that you started? Yes. Uh, yeah. If you don't count the football, the paper football uh, business. Yeah. And, and um, I think that what you, you just said though, um, and these are questions that I often like to ask myself is, and, and that this goes into my whole move philosophy is that most people won't do what they say consistently. They're going to do at a level. They want to do it. It's just too crazy. Yeah. Like, it's just, you cannot, you just can't throttle through that much stuff. It's just not. And when you look back and you started this first business, do you find commonality in entrepreneurs having to go? It's like, it's like puberty, right? Maybe it's not, it, it, like, do, do you get what I'm getting at? It's like, you cannot outrun this. You have to trudge through this. And though there's some little nuggets and, you know, maybe value bomb things that can help you, but do you think that that is common for everyone? Yeah, I think what happens is that most people, if they have enough um, determination, they're going to get through it, right? They're, they're going to figure it out. If you've started a business, you got enough um, confidence in yourself to do that, and you have the determination, and 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 can 
push yourself through those really, really low points. And I had some pretty low points. Um, push you through these low points. They're going to get through it. But tell, tell me, tell the, me a little bit about that. <laughs> it's it's a similar. I, I hate to say it's a similar story, but I do hear it, and and, may, and it's probably my my reticular activating system kicking in. You know, where it's like, oh, you hear other people deal, but other, you know, I have to remember that not everyone has has heard this before. So through that period, that period of time where we we've we, we grew, we stacked services, we started growing, the revenue started growing. It, and I was DIY, well, obviously it's taking more of my time. And when you're on that hamster wheel, when you're in Groundhog Day every single day, it's just time. And so the low point for me was that, that oh, I, I, if I just hustle a little bit more, if I just push myself a little bit more, right? If I just sacrifice a little bit more then I'm going to make it through like the grass is going to be greener. And, and so what happened was, you know, working every single night till eight, 10 o'clock, right. Working weekends, prioritizing work for the greater good um, because that's what I needed to do. That was best for my family. And it was just burning me out. And I was somebody who always liked to help. So I had, I was doing other things on the side too. Like, that's where I kind of first got into consulting because I was helping some nonprofits grow as well. And so just constant work, you know, constant work, really no time for my family. Um, my kids probably knew me better from the back of my head walking out the door than they did anything else. Because when I came home, they were already in bed and they only saw me in the morning when I left for a, a brief time. And that started eating at me and started really wearing me down. Um, not only the, the constant work and the constant hustle was burnout, but the fact that I wasn't having any fun. Like I just got the, I got the living fun sucked right out of me. And, <laughs> and it just, I just sat down like every night and just realized like, you know, it wasn't fun. And, and soon anxiety started kicking in. I never had had anxiety in my life. I never worried about a damn thing. Now all of a sudden it was like, shit, am I going to make payroll? You know, am I going to have enough money to, to, to feed my family? Like, and it wasn't because I wasn't making money, but it's because of a lack of focus of not really, not really knowing what was going on, to be honest. And always sort of wondering, like, you know, just striving for more and more and more. And so it, it, it ended up causing causing a lot of strife a lot of issues um, a lot of relationship problems what, what you did know? you find that that did that to, to your health I mean in in those if you look back you had an exchange um, your exchange was I didn't work out at all yeah, yeah you, had mean, an exchange. I, you basically said I, I will exchange all of these other things to eliminate these 100 percent and when you look back I mean, do you have like a description of like how you felt, do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the description is the health went south. Like I gained weight for sure. You know, I stopped working out all the time um, and, uh, and just wasn't, wasn't healthy. And, and I thought, you know, going to that anxiety, like I had this something happen over in this part. And, you know, I went to doctors and I did stress tests and I did heart, you know, EKGs and all these other things. And they're like, you're pretty healthy. Like, we think you're okay. And the doctor was like, asking me more about stress. He's like, I'm pretty sure it's just anxiety, you know, presenting itself in like a muscular form or something like that. Right. 
and uh, and it sucked. And and I still to this day kind of you know there's still times where you have anxiety, but it's nothing like it was then. But I never had that before, and all of a sudden it just can't. And and for me that was that just added to the anxiety because it was like now what is this thing? What what are we worried? So and, and so from a health perspective, you know eating terrible gaining weight you know probably weighed the most that i did ever in my life at that point in time um and just but but just revenue the, but the, revenue was good yeah revenue was pretty good at that well at, at that point it was it was fine uh you know and i ran into a bunch of snafus that kind of caught caused revenue to to get pulled away because of the place that i moved into was an old convenience store and when mm. we, we moved into my dream office i had it completely built out i designed it myself like and, and had it built out you know uh of course diy right and uh and then we were in there for uh this was like when i first moved into that office this was the start of when things got hard because we're like growing 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 okay we're gonna keep growing and if we move into a new place even though it costs more like no problem we'll just get more business and things will keep going well well now it's fine and maybe things continue to grow but but because this was an old convenience store they had an hvac system that was built for um coolers and freezers and so when and, winter and came where what where was this was this in um ohio bridgeport Ohio. yeah oh, okay. uh, a little yeah it was a little old uh convenience store that had been around for a while and so this hvac system come winter when it came time to cool the place down um or sorry, warm the place yeah. up uh, or cool the place down for that matter. Like the, the, the energy bills were three or five times what they should have been. Like, I think I was paying like 17 to $1,800 a month for a little like 1800 square foot place. Um, <laughs> and was like, you know, and that was a huge, not that, it, not that it was a make or break situation, but you know, it definitely caused a lot of stress, you know, and, and those bills among, among some other ones added up. And there was, there was some other, cause there was gas and electric and it was just this combination of things that ended up costing me, had to have been at some point like 2,500 to, to $3,000 a month. And I know for some companies that's not a ton, but you know, when you're at the level we were, which was, you know, that, that just to just below like mid, uh, six well, anything that should be four hundred dollars—that's twenty-five hundred dollars—it should be a problem, anyways, right? Yeah, so, yeah. When you friend, when you first move in, you know, and that's uh, like I said, we were when we first moved in. Yeah, we were like in the I want to say like two hundred thousand a year range, um, and so having a staff, uh, a decent staff, and my own salary and all that stuff was just super, super tough to. Now, did to everyone through, come so. into the office? At that point, yeah, absolutely, 100%. We had space for, for everyone. Uh, although, no, I take that back. We did have some remote. I had regular remote employees that I used um, often. They weren't full-time, but they were regular. They were close enough. That they were outsourced, and, and we used the same people over and over again. So we had like three to four of those working with us regularly, um, especially when, with some of the technical aspects. This might be um, an interesting conversation because uh, we do have quite some of the same backgrounds. You know, I started this e-commerce business fairly early and um, the fastest platform on e-commerce we could do was a Yahoo store. And so I blew those things up out of, I mean, I was making stuff out of those things that weren't even supposed to be done. But through that process, I've hired so many different people. Um, 
in a world where people, entrepreneurs are finding other people to get things done. Because ultimately, other than the formula that you had talked about, you learn to hire and create a management mentality and say, look, other people can do this. There's personalities in designers, programmers, uh, content writers, and those type of things. What are some of those person? Like I have one, I'll just say, like a programmer, I always tell them, if you're going to hire a programmer and you have something that you want to do, just put them in a dark room and leave them alone. Just leave him alone. There's just this, leave them alone. And there is this different brain. And maybe, maybe you have some insight a little bit on your past too. Like what's the difference between somebody hiring a designer and then hiring a programmer? Because these are all, what you and I are talking about right now is the revolution, the industry, uh, the steel revolution years back in building things where you're like, hey, I got to find a guy to do concrete, right? You know, that guy doesn't even do concrete. So what, what have you found on, you know, because I have some, some things that I would note on, but I would like to hear your thoughts on when people hire those people, what kind of personality are you looking for? Well, I think when I, when I was first doing it, you know, obviously you're looking for um, past work. You know, so even before personality and to be quite honest, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, getting on a Skype call with someone. What are you talking about? Right. Yeah. Like in the early days, like I never did that. Like I never talked to I, the only the only communication I had was either through the platform we were using or through through email. Mm-hmm. Um, and never even really, really used Skype until the. Gosh, probably, you know, 2010 ish somewhere mm-hmm. in there. But as far as like personalities go, um, I, I guess to be quite honest, like I didn't, you know, as far as remote employees go, I didn't necessarily care. But when I hired somebody in house, like as a designer, I was certainly looking for um, level of creativity. And um, what I later learned, which, which I kind of, I think I did by default and I didn't realize I was doing, was I was looking for the person first. I was looking for who they were as a person first and foremost. Um, and, and did that mesh with my vision of who needed to be in that position? And these are things now that I've since systematized to, to really understand like how to do this in a systematic way. But back then it was all through gut and feeling and like, okay. And making mistakes, right. Definitely hired a few people that, that didn't work out. That it was like, you know, I think I, uh, one person I hired was, um, she was great. Don't don't get me wrong. She was an amazing, talented person. Sure. Uh, but she she was very creative. But she didn't. She wanted to be that person who was just left alone, right? And just talked in. And I was like, and and not that it wasn't not that it was her, but it was what I what I believed the position needed to be, which was a designer who was collaborative and could work with me, who had been the creative person the entire time, and come and go and ask me questions. Well. She, just never like did it. She just went and did the work and usually it was fine, but it just, it ultimately was a, was a culture clash and just didn't work out. Um, so that's one thing that I learned, but um, I think as far as personality is concerned, um, it's really more about the person and, and what you believe that person, if that person is going to be a good fit into your culture, because there are plenty of companies out there that are like, you know, maybe filled with programmers that that compl- the whole culture is about them going off into their their corners and doing their work and sitting down and then 
you know, leaving for the day. That's how, how are you seeing, like um, because the agency, you work with agency owners and in that you're dealing with people that are dealing with problems every single day. And the problems that we had individually kind of staying on the line that you had just talked about is that if you have somebody that's um, coming into the office, there's that, there's actual real energy that comes with them. What do you think is happening right now with our pandemic situation where we're not going into the office and we're not, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, a, a large number. I mean, there's a lot of us that are still going to the office, but a lot of people are not. And um, what, do you, what do you see in, in team building um, changes that you try to share with people that have agency? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times when I come in working with an agency that they have, usually there's one or two employees at least, you know, or, or a handful of employees that they, they're they pretty connected with and they have a good relationship with and, and they build a good culture. But then there's also a set of employees that are essentially production that they just hand stuff off with. And, and sometimes they're more than an outsourcer. They're actually part of the company, but they're still somebody who, who like, sets up forget so I try to like transition them into like this is your team right and treat them as such treat them as people like you and I were talking about the other night on my my video right treat the team is the team doesn't matter if they're outsourced or not Um, that's really critical Um, but one of the one of the positive things I'm seeing is that there are plenty of agencies who have figured this out and who have, especially ones maybe who have relied a little less on outsourcing and ones who have been traditional that had to move to remote, they immediately recognized that that was an issue and they had to do something about it. And so they started just doing, um, uh, one of the things that I teach to to build a a great team is shared experiences that aren't work, right? Mm -hmm. And some of these agency owners, naturally intuitively figured this out and went to remote shared experiences where and I, I did a, um, a question about that on the, the HubSpot group one day and came back with a ton of interesting answers of what people were doing and um, I'm not sure I can remember all of them but they were like every Wednesday they would uh, schedule an hour and they would meet and they would like play a game together right mm-hmm. or they'd sit around on Friday afternoons and they'd drink and just, you know, shoot the shit and talk, right? They would just just kind of do some of these things. And some of them would um, have, actually some of them got really creative and, and didn't do a shared experience, but in order to like relieve a little bit of pressure, they'd say, hey, nobody's working all Wednesday afternoon. Every Wednesday afternoon, nobody work, right? right? Um, like you were not required to work. So they were all coming up with creative ideas to do more things for essentially the commonality is they were doing things for the person, for them as people to help them get through, you know, that hard time that everyone had to deal with who were were shut in and, and transitioning from, from working from home all the time. So I I think you bring up a great, you know, and I think the reason I was bringing up personalities is because during times right now, personalities are being changed in a way sometimes because if you if people are coming home and extremely depressed and never talking to anyone, you, you, communication skills are created by continual communication. 
Right. And I think that um, one thing that you bring up is totally true. Like they, you know, they're looking for, people are looking for outlets. And I share this quite often, and you and I have this same philosophy. And that is, in the conversations that you're having is, once a week, you gotta, there's gotta be a break room, right? It's like- yeah, Water cooler, right? Exactly. So anytime that I hire someone, I look at it like the first week is like finding the bathroom. <laughs> like, where's the bathroom? Where's the water cooler? Where does people, you know, where's the cigarettes, whatever it is, right? You identify, where is it that I'm allowed to roam in this environment? And yeah. I think that what's happened in these virtual experiences is that you're absolutely right. It's like, how do we connect with each other as people because we are a team and moving forward? I think that's a great point for all current entrepreneurs to realize that when you were in your place of business, you probably stopped off at Sally's desk and said, hey, how's everything going? Or, hey, by the way, how is little Johnny doing? And then you get about eight minutes on what his little basketball team was doing and how he shot an incredible shot. And then that two minutes, the employee has the opportunity to go, you know what, they actually care about me and I'm not just this piece. And I think that what you've just brought up as well is that it's eliminated a lot of that and creativity is one. And, and we actually do that every um, Tuesday, we do an entire hour and it's all wrapped around like what is going on in life and don't even, and it, and it, it actually can be very small amount of time. Well, and even facilitating that. the employees to get together with each other. So sometimes, right, like like the boss, it's great for the boss to do it, but at the end of the day, the boss is the boss, right? The boss is the authority figure. And no matter how much you wanna be friends with some of your employees, like they're always gonna see you as the boss. And so to be able to facilitate between the employees is important also, right? To, to have, to let them have shared experiences, not always, it's not always the company picnic, right? Like you said, it's sometimes it's just the water cooler. I know when I had my agency, we had couches out in the common area and right up, like I'd go out and sit, or even if I wasn't out there, like someone would go out and sit, which would automatically like sort of, you know, prompt someone else to be like, oh, I need a break too. I'm going to go out and write and chat and do a little few things. And um, at, when I was at one of my other companies, we had the break room, right? You know, you see somebody walk to the break room, you're like, all right, I'm going to get up and go to the break room. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the conversation starts talking. And, and I think that's important. And I, I've, I've heard and seen people do it with Slack channels too, right? Like you have... You, like you said, you allow and say like, like where can I roam? And well, a Slack channel can be one of those places where, you know, you just call it random or you call it, you know, whatever you want to call it that's fun. And they just go there and you don't get mad at them for spending time there through the day. You know, you can't be, uh, you know, uh, a very productive only boss. Like productivity comes from culture you know, and, and having a happy team, like that's where productivity comes. It doesn't come from, uh, you know, always being a stickler on every last little thing that has to happen. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that that stuff's, that stuff's really critical um, and, and can make a huge, huge result. And it's, it's, to be honest, team is probably, I would say, if not number one, the, one of the top things you need to really truly scale a company, you know, past a million dollars and beyond your team is what's going to carry you there. And if you don't have a strong, solid um, foundation for what that team is, you know, you're just gonna 
sure you can probably do it, but it's just going to be turn and burn on the way there. You know, you're not you're not going to care. You're going to be your typical corporate style business, your 80s, early 90s style of business that's just churn and burn to get there instead of really relying on your team and really building a team. And, and the other reason why that's important and the one thing I focus on is building a team that runs without you, mm-hmm. building a self-managed team. You can't have a self-managed team that's not happy. It's just not going to happen. Like, let's they're not let's gonna... talk about that for a second. What, yeah. what, what, are, what is it that you're saying? I have, you know, I've seen some things that I, I even had to do for myself, but how do you, how do you look at if, if you were coaching someone and what would your answer be to he's now solar entrepreneur? What, what is it that allows someone to let go? Cause that's really what it is, right? It's like, Hey, I got this idea and this is my, I built this microphone and now I got to let you create something on this microphone. And you're like, I don't yeah. want to let it go. Cause I want all the credit. Do you think, or what, what is that? Yeah. I mean, they, they, they lack a bit of trust. You know, it's, um, they feel like they can do it better. They feel the owners feel like they can do it better. They can do it faster. And so why would I give it to somebody else to struggle with who doesn't know it as well as I do? Well, I mean, the reason is because that's how you grow. You know, you have to, you have to have a mindset shift uh, and that's one of the the modules of the program is from D, DIY to CEO, and a CEO trusts his or her employees, uh, trusts their employees to make their own mistakes, knowing that that's going to help them move forward faster. Um, there's just a plethora of things that that you just have to get into that mindset of like, okay, I hired hired these people, so I I need to trust them. Right. Maybe your uh, risk, maybe your risk just doesn't end there. Like you, I think that going back to our original conversation and saying, when did that start for you? Like wh- where was that? Right. And we talked about maybe artistry or something, but maybe one of those characteristics that are quite common that we see is there's a continual risk. Right. But then once you get to a certain level, you don't want to risk anymore. Like you feel like you've, you've, You've gone yeah. through the, through the yeah, through I can the, tell you uh, exactly. Indiana Jones, right? And you're just like, how did I make it here? And you finally get there. And then you're like, I've got to risk all of that and put it into the hands of someone else. But you're in a pickle, right? Because you're like, I can't do the two. I have to hand that off. You do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the classic um owner's journey, I guess, right? It's the entrepreneur's journey where you've built a business because you had a talent, right? More often than not, uh, entrepreneurs build businesses on their own talent, right? Mm, Obviously there's some, yeah, there's some people who come in and, and who have money who can start a business in a different way, but more often than not, you've built that business on your own talent. And that's the one thing that's the hardest to let go. It was the hardest to let go for me. I, mine was design. Mine was graphic design and creativity. And it was the hardest thing for me to let go because I felt like I could never find somebody who was such a vain statement, but I felt like I could never find someone who was good as me. Not that I was the, you know, the, the end all be all the. No, but, but I think, that, I, I think, I think that I'll challenge you on that statement. The truth was there was nobody else that could run your brand, your model, your flow yeah. better than you. And that you, I think the, I think it has you have to have some arrogance in that. Yeah, and, and the limiting freaking hell. You're like, 
let, let's just call it gone through hell pride. <laughs> yeah, you have. You've built it all on your own shoulders. That's the, the term I use, right? You've built this business on your own shoulders and, and you've carried the bricks all the way up the hill. And you, you've known every last, this is, I'm, I'm notorious for making up random analogies, but you've carried the, the sack of bricks mm-hmm. on your back. You've walked up the hill. You know where every little stone and every little divot and every little hole to avoid on the way up. And now all of a sudden you're at the top of the hill and you see someone at the bottom of the hill and you want to like hand those bricks off to somebody else and let them do it because you know that they're gonna, they're gonna hit one of those. They're gonna stumble. The bricks are gonna fall backwards. And you're just going to go down and have to pick up those pieces mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and help them up. That was actually a pretty good one. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, nailed it. Sometimes, sometimes they're, they're less, <laughs> less poignant than that. Well, as long as we're going for that imperfection, 80% will understand what you said. And the other person, the other 80 won't. <laughs> but we've got the 80. <laughs> but no, yeah. that's a great, that is a great analogy, right? You're like, yeah. I've been carrying my own shit. And I know what my own shit problems are. I know exactly what could happen. And I also know my own risk to reward. Yeah. You know, we, we tend to, uh, I, I think you would agree with it. As we get older, we try to, we tend to create these interesting little energy fields, right? And we're like, well, I can only go that far. Oh, that'll keep me back this way. And then you have this like, oh, I can extend that, but I know I'm risking it but at least I can pull back. And then sometimes it's like, just throw the whole thing in. Right. And I think that's basically what you're saying is like, how can I hand this off to someone else? I know he's going to fail. So maybe there's a sense of just failure expectation. It's yeah. And the, the, what I, the mindset shift I teach is, is really around mentorship, to be honest. So it's, um, it, yeah, maybe it's, you can give us a bullet, a couple bullet points around that philosophy. Yeah. I think it's, I, w- the reason why a lot of people don't do it is because of time, right? They're already time sucked. Um, there's just no time to do the things they want to do in a little, let alone mentor somebody. Mm. But the mindset shift is around the long game, right? It's around um, not, not the short term, like, no, you're not going to immediately get hours freed up. But if you simply just take this person under your wing, some people need less time than others, right? If they're a junior employee, an intern, they're going to need more time. And so that's a, that's a potential detriment to hiring interns. But if they have a little bit of skill, then maybe you can just mentor them for 30 days or two weeks and really take the extra time every single day to teach them what you know uh, and point out all the different, you know, rocks and divots and stuff moving up the hill and just point that direction to them, then they're, they're going to lose less bricks along the way. And, and so, and not only that, but they're going to be able to get up the next hill and the next hill and the next hill without you, you know, and that's, that's mentorship. And, and not only that, but, but creating this sense of mentorship in your entire organization. So if you have five employees, you have six employees, you know, seven, then, then that's, that's on your shoulders. You start right. growing that team. Now you bring somebody up into leadership and, and you've created this culture of mentorship to say, look, like this is now your job, right? You're the senior designer. You're the senior employee. Um, you're the senior strategist. Now here's the junior one. Now you do the same thing I did for you, right? And you keep that cycle going again and again 
then you don't ever have to worry about the reputation of your business. Cause I think that's, I think that's one of the reasons why we, we hold on to these things. Right. And, and yeah. we build it on our shores and we've built the reputation and I'm going to hand off my design to somebody who's right out of college. And then I'm going to hand that to a client and they're going to expect it to be the same level as what, what I produced. Um, and so I guess that's that's my story, right? I, I had this this other designer who was right out of college. And I, he was great as a person, amazing, absolutely one hundred percent amazing, right? Showed me what he could do. I was like, this is going to work out. And I at the start was like, uh, I think one of the first projects probably was a website, and I gave him a website, and it came back to me and it, it not to be mean to him, but like it came back looking like, you know, uh, a five-year-old like piece together different things. Right. And uh, yeah. maybe that's a little, little harsh, but just to exaggerate to make sure. a point. And so I was like, ah, oh, right. So I just, I was like, I'll just do it. Right. I'll take it. I'll do it. So the next time and the, but then the next project he did was, uh, I think it was a logo project or, or a design project. And it came back and I was blown away. It was, it was almost something, it was, I think it was better than something that I would have done. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, had no, I did, was not expecting that at all. And so what I found was he needed some guidance and mentorship to how to think about designing a website because he got caught up in like grid patterns mm. and, you know, thinking in terms of limitations instead of, you know, like a logo there, there's, there aren't as many limitations. Mm -hmm. And so I really just had to kind of give him some pointers on how I approached it. And soon thereafter, he was able to apply the same creativity that, uh, that he did, that he was able to do on that level. And, and then from that point on, it was like, yeah, here you go. Here's a project. Here's a project, you know, sure. Point out things here and there on, on, you know, mostly like admin level type stuff, like how to stay organized and where to put files and how to, you know, that kind of stuff. But that was yeah. easy. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even have to do that. My, my other employees could do that. I think that what you're bringing up is, is there's an early sacrifice to adding someone to your army. You know, it, it, we tend to, I think quite often, I always, I always have looked at things as like, there's a next scale. Like I'm like, oh, there's a little plant and you're like, oh, now there's a little bush. And then above the bush, there's a tree. And then above the tree, there's a big old tree, right? And when you look at businesses, it's kind of the same. It's like, if you have an army and you want to go out there and conquer something, you have to invest in those people. I mean, you have to invest in them. And I think it's quite yeah. often that the frustration kicks in like as if it could be a different way and it yeah. can be a different way and i think one thing that you're saying is that extra time in the beginning to just spend some time with those people short you know that i guess focused time kind of adds another muscle right yeah um i, I found mm -hmm. something quite interesting too when it comes to work delivery um, and, and maybe you've had this too, is that uh, it's the first time I think the shift is when you have someone else do the work and then you deliver it and then you get some positive feedback, then you go, okay, I don't, I can get through that. Okay, we can deliver without me, right? It's just getting that first sense of delivery, I think, is like getting over that hump. 
because you would you accept your failures too. I mean, if you had 10 projects, you might fail at one or two too. You just right. have to accept their failure, fail through. <laughs> as much as I can't tell you how many times uh, from for myself, but also it's interesting parallel to everybody I work with. When when they've either told me a story or have helped them to alleviate some of their time and they've passed that off to someone that they all have a similar experience, like what I, what I said, right? There was, there was a point in time where they, they finally got, the, got that person over the hump and it was just this huge sense of, of relief, you know, of, of freedom, you know, this feeling that it is possible that I can get my time back. And it's just so rewarding to know like, oh my gosh, I can, someone else can do this for me? Are you kidding me? is amazing like just I, I think about it now it obviously gets me excited thinking about it it was yeah. so amazing so uplifting uh i just i loved it so much and and the same thing happens but but it's hard to get to that point it's hard and it, it sometimes uh again i'm not saying i'm the end all be all but a coach can like help you just see that they all they have to do is shift your mind a little bit to to realize what is possible and and i think you know being there and Having done it before is certainly certainly helps to to help them you know realize that it is possible and, and feel that that level that next level of excitement. So I, I'm a big believer in reason. Like the reason I created a business was I wanted to be able to live and work anywhere in the world, and that was why I started it. And when I started my e-commerce business, though I was online and I ended up actually being in a facility <laughs> every day. But once I figured a model out to kind of do that, one of the things that I like to share about Moved is like a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine said the other day, he's like, you don't do shit unless you go do shit. <laughs> like it's just, you don't, you can't say I did some shit if you never go and just do this stuff. And so I think that this opens up the door. Like I look at like our hobbies, right? So what have you found have been your hobbies that you, that are the glory times of being an entrepreneur? I think you fish, right? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely started fishing more. Something I did back in high school, and uh, and I think it was just last year. Um, I bought a small boat, and I said uh, it was a 1979 Thundercraft that I think is a one of a kind because I can't find that same model Thundercraft anywhere online at all i'm like wow like what do i have do i have like a million dollar boat here that i, I don't even know about <laughs> but anyway it's it's an old boat that's in great shape i had to fix it up a little bit i uh, had a great motor on it works almost perfectly most of the time <laughs> yeah and, uh, is, it, and, is it a pole or is it what is it no it's a it's a it's a star oh, okay. yeah it's all it's all connected and it's got a steering wheel and everything um and it's got a a uh a, a place to put the fish and and all that stuff it's not as fancy as some of the newer ones but it's still pretty nice what, what are you what are you fishing for out there uh, i mostly try for bass but a lot of times like crappy and uh and but basically what i'm fishing for is whatever's going to bite on my hook right now but uh so last year i i just decided you know i've been i've been just this constant you know state of work almost my whole life and i realized you know as i got into consulting i was like one of the things like that was missing from your life was fun you know and why are you working so hard and <laughs> and why don't you go do something so my son and i uh went out 
fishing, we rented a boat, just a little, went like a half a mile an hour, felt, you know, yeah. on it with the motor. And we caught a ton of fish. I had the most fun ever and was so excited that, you know, and I just, I immediately went out and was like looking for a cheap boat and, and something that would run and go out there. So that's when I made a decision that I was like, you're not going to work your ass off all the time. Like, like set limitations for yourself mm, and go live life. Yeah. Like you're 43 now, I'm 43 and go live your life and, and have fun. And, and there's plenty of times when, when I, I still sacrifice work for, for fun and stuff like that, cause trying to get ahead a little bit and get ahead. But if you keep that mentality all the time, if you keep thinking, if I can just get ahead a little bit, if I can just get a little ahead, of, you know, you're going to be 60 years old, seven years old and realize that you, you haven't really gotten to do anything in your life. So why not take an afternoon off? Why not, you know, just it's not going to be the end of the world like you know a day off like how many times have you taken have you, have you just gotten to a point where you've been sick and you can't work right it's not the end of the world like you you pick up you figure it out right so so let so and that's one of the that's one of the things that drives me to to do what i do is is this idea that that business owners are working too hard and they're they're the reason why they're working too hard is to create a better life for themselves but it's a paradox because they end up not having a life for themselves because of their business so let's get them to a point where, where they do that but that's i mean that's really my focus and and yeah fishing is definitely a hobby um spending time with my family is is essentially like my hobby is <laughs> you know well, I, I think I too that. i think that one thing about hobbies and this is something that i've been exploring a lot a, a lot is hobbies uh, hobbies are your desires but hobbies are also a way where we congregate right so um i love martial arts and so any any school any gym it could be jujitsu it could be muay thai it could be karate when i walk in there everything else stops and, and I get to meet that congregation and we talk about the same thing. And when you, when you have that, I think that what you're explaining is like, wait a minute, there, there's a whole world of unbusiness, right? It's like, there's a whole world of like no reason to work. And there's that whole thing. And I think that if you don't tap into that intentionally, as you were saying a minute ago, it just passes by. 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's, uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, for those of you who, who aren't 40 yet, when you turn 40, you definitely hit an existential moment in your life where you, you move from this idea um, that you're, you're working your whole life to try to do something, you know, to, to get ahead. And then at 40, you're like, what's the, you know, what's the impact I'm going to have in this world? And I just hit that point and realized, like, I'm not happy. Mm. And that was a huge shift in my life. Like, why am I not happy? You know, I have everything that I want, right? I have a nice house. I have a great family. I have a healthy family. I have, you know, I, I, why am I not happy? <laughs> you know, and uh, I think for me, it was a bit of lack of fulfillment and, and I, so I had to ask because I had started another business. I started an Amazon business and, and it was like, you know, why am I doing all this? What is the reason behind it? And I think that gets lost, um, especially with entrepreneurs and business owners. Like so many that I work with, 
you dive into the the conversation of vision and you know what's your why you know Simon Sinek sure and they they've not really thought about it that much right it's it's not something that drives them but once you flip the switch a little bit then they start to realize you know the value of their time yeah and and really why they're doing what they're doing. And now, now their goals become a little bit different. They, they move from wanting to make a million dollars, make money to why do you wanna do that? And I wanna do that because, and the conversation it's interesting because it, it's, it, it, I'm seeing patterns in this. It's not that much different. It's almost always around family. I wanna spend more time with my family. I wanna spend more time with my daughter. I want, to uh, I want my wife to be able to quit her job. Yeah. Um, I want, and, and then not only family, but secondarily my employees, which is what we we're talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I want to create a place for my employees that they love coming to, that is like a second family to them, that, that I'm doing things for them that they never thought anyone else would ever do for them and, and, and really wow them. And there's a book called The Dream Manager, which is an amazing book. Mm. And a guy built a consultancy on it about how to help companies build to to create a dream manager in their business to allow the employees to come to that dream manager to tell them the dreams and for the company to facilitate instead of like necessarily showering them with uh, tons of benefits that, you know, may or may not get used and and maybe they still do that too. But one of the benefits now is we're going to help you achieve your dream. You know, whatever that is, it may not always be money. It may be somebody's time helping to figure out how to go get a mortgage for a new house. It may be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever that is. Like, I, I want to it help help them to take those steps to to move to their vision. And so, when I work with someone, I make sure that that's the first thing that we talk about. What is your vision? Why do you have this business? What do you want to achieve in your life? Because mm, yeah. otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna burn yourself out. You're gonna you know work yourself to the bone, and you're never gonna you're never gonna find that. So let's take steps to get there. And the first step is freeing up your time. And if we can free up at a time, and one of my um, first clients now who who just resigned, one of the first things that I encouraged him to do was I said, what if you took four hours off every Friday, spend with your daughter? Try that. Try that on for size. See what happens. And it just shifted his focus and allowed him to realize that was one of the most important things in my week. So in order to do that, I need to do these other things, right? Like he focused on systems and, and building out his yeah. SOP, which is a building out an SOP is a, is a really kind of a, a shitty job that nobody wants to do. <laughs> and, but he did it because he saw the value and what that allowed him to be able to do and continue to grow that time even more. And that was a huge success story for me, more than being able to you know, build revenue in his business. The fact that he was able to free up time and move him closer to what he wanted and, and fulfill that vision. And that's 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 what focus for me is really all about. And in what you just said kind of comes down this old saying, it says, it's not what you did for me, it's the way you made me feel. Yes, yeah. And absolutely. I think that, you know, um, many entrepreneurs, if you've ever been with, and if you've been in business long enough, or maybe you've been younger and then someone was older and then you've seen business happen over, and you've ever gone with an entrepreneur that you knew was super busy and you've gone on like a vacation with that person. And you all of a sudden like saw a different person. 
it, it, it's like all, all of that, sh uh, they shed everything off. Yes. And if you've ever heard the old saying, it's like, man, it took me two days to unwind, right? And, and you're like, you realize how much we just carry on with us at all times. We're carrying the, the labor that we need to make sure payroll we're carrying, you know, is, uh, you know, Jenny's having a baby in two weeks, you know, or whatever that may be. There's uh, these things are happening at all times. And I think that it is important that you take advantage of that. And that's probably why I brought up, you know, your fishing. Cause I think it's like, this is act, this is actionable things that not only that it might sound kind of funny, but it's like building your, uh, I guess you said building your own scrapbook. Right. I mean, we've got to play that role. There's so many people that look back on life and I'm sure that this will be talked about a lot on the podcast. It's just basically like, holy smokes, like you only have this body. This is the youngest that your body will produce right now. Go use it. Absolutely. Go yeah. use it. It, it. Your machine is not getting better. I mean, I can take supplement after supplement. I do two liters of water minimum a day. I can do all of that but my sh machine's getting rustier. <laughs> yeah, my knees aren't uh, lifting like they used to lift, you know? And we wear, you know, the sad part is we wear we wear busyness as a, as a badge of honor. And, you know, even like you said- Oh, that was good. We, yeah. we Say that again? We wear busyness like a badge of honor. Like wow, it's you're right. Yeah, it's like a privilege that we're busy. And it's like, it's like when we go talk to someone, I'm too busy, and 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 it makes you feel empowered, it makes you feel like you're special, and that there's something, like you're actually creating impact in this world because you're busy. And when you go on vacation, it's like, oh, honey, I gotta I gotta take this call. Like it's super important. Is it is it really important? Like, tell me what's what why the world is going to you know, just completely stop if you don't if you don't do that call, right? I, and I get it. Like, there's definitely times when, when you absolutely 100% have to, to have to do that. But, but the point of it is, if you had the right systems in place, then then that wouldn't even be a worry for you. And if you had the right trust in place with your team, that wouldn't even be a worry with you. So it kills me, absolutely. And I just want to reach out through the phone or through the text when someone says, like, you know, I'm too busy to talk to you, right? I just want to just be like, no. Like, that's not right. Like, you shouldn't be too busy. That is the problem. That's why, yeah. that's the exact problem uh, that, that, that you're dealing with. And, and I think sometimes people don't realize that that's the actual problem more than, more than the fact that they need more sales, more revenue, more systems, more whatever it is. Like, it's the fact that, that they have decided upon themselves to be busy. They've, they've, they own the fact that they want to be so busy. You think that has to do with value? You think that as entrepreneurs, I, I, we go out there, we start a business that if I create a sense of busyness, then I have mal value to the market. If I feel that way, do you think that correlates as well? Yeah, you know, if I'm thinking back to, I think when I first started my business, when I was like, there was some level of excitement or fulfillment the around like, oh my gosh, I have to drive to this meeting and I have to go to this meeting and I have to do this. And then I have to go back. And I have to do client work. And I was just, there was like, like I said, it's like a badge of honor. It's like, I was excited to be busy. Uh, and, and rightly so when you're startup, uh, you know, up to probably around six figures, like you should be, you should probably be busy, but 
you can't do that forever. You just can't. And, and you got you got to move away from it. And if you're smart, you'll figure it out sooner than later. Um, and, and it's actually easier if you do. It's easier if you can figure it out sooner than later while you're in the hustle mode, um, if you can sacrifice a few things along the way. I think that this goes into, I mean, really quick, it just goes to say that like our businesses don't just need uh, need systems. We need people. And, oh, 100%. And it's you so, and I think that there's this big fear, like we don't need people. And it's, and it's um, in a way, it's just a whole nother area that's fall, that has areas to fall apart. <laughs> well, that leads, that leads. Yeah. So there's a couple points that come to mind when you say that is that most of us want uh, passive income. Mm. And from from and it's absolutely 100% possible, but again, um, in more more cases than not, there are exceptions to every rule. More more cases than not, it doesn't happen without people. Like you got to have somebody doing something for you to make passive income. Sure. Yes, you can become an affiliate and you can pull money that way, but that takes time and effort, right? It it either takes you doing a ton of work up front or having somebody else do it for you. Either way, it's people, whether it's you or somebody else. Um, and, and another point that I'll make around that is there's everyone that I know wants to wants to grow their business, but they don't want to grow too big because they're worried about uh, the, the fear of managing too much people, too many people and the, the chaos that they feel like that will bring. Uh, and rightly so. Like if you have a team of 30 people, there's a lot of complexity that goes into that. Um, there's a lot of layers, um, but I don't think I don't think the fear is is right. I don't think that that's the the right way of looking at it because, um, yes, you need people, but but you can do it in the right way that, that that frees up your time and doesn't require more of your time. I think that that's major shift, right? I mean, time of pe people as well. I mean, if if we were to have a meeting or someone to come and work with you, they'd come to your office and they'd sit in that office for 30 minutes and you would even be empowered to let that person sit for a while. I mean, right. There's like this sense of like time, like, well, if I make them sit for a while, I'm more busy. And you're like, well, wait, just bring them in. Let's get this thing over with. Right. We have this world of smoke and mirrors that we, we, we often think like, when I see those things, I know the system is working. <laughs> You know, when you treat me this way, I know the system is working. And I, and I think to your point a minute ago, when you said like being busy or doing, you know, those things, I think it probably in an, in, in an innocent fair play, it's our way of saying I made it to the table. Like I, I get to play ball. Right. Yeah. And then they, yeah, you get to play ball and then you don't, you don't let go of it, right? You just keep, the, the problem with it is you keep stacking, keep stacking more and more time and more and more time because that's what it takes to, to move ahead instead of thinking of it uh, differently and having a different mindset around time and what that means. Um, it's kind of like trying to think of another off the whim analogy here, but. <laughs> sure. Uh, no, nothing coming to mind. But it, you know, time is time is the only thing. You know, I don't, I don't. I think I've asked several different questions on my in my Facebook group related to time, and and really the 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 to sum it all up, between time and money, 
more people want time than they do money. I think they, we realize that the time is more valuable. So why don't we treat it as such? Why aren't we chasing, why aren't, why aren't we chasing more time instead of chasing more money? And I know mm -hmm. it's a catch 22 because a yeah. lot of time you feel like you need more money to get right. more time or time to make but then that becomes the paradox too you know that becomes you know you're chasing the money and it's taking up more of your time so well i think that can... that transitions perfectly into your uh 2xagency.com uh 2xaa <laughs> maybe you can tell me a little bit about that so yeah there's the facebook group 2x agency accelerator just search for on facebook 2x agency accelerator so far it's the only one out there um, you can either get there on Facebook or you can get there by going to 2xagency.com slash 2xaa um, and, uh, and get more in connection with me, gets, gets uh, uh, an email address so you can get on my, my list and get some of these nuggets that I'm sharing today. Um, but it's just, it's mostly a community. I mean, it's mostly a place where I try to get people to talk. I try to get them to think. Um, I do a weekly live every week where I talk about things like this and related to the agencies and, and how to get ahead and how to free up more time and get your freedom back, stop working nights and weekends, you know, all of these things that we're striving for that, that are driving us mad as agency owners, talk about, help you alleviate what that is. But also, um, I find that just asking, you know, interesting pointing questions help people start thinking and talking to each other, you know, about what's possible. You know, mm. sometimes it's something technical, sometimes it's something philosophical, yeah. you know, like between time and money. And, uh, and it's really interesting. And I think that, it, you know, I've gotten a lot of um, uh, uh, compliments on those questions that it's like, this is something different that not too many people, other people are doing. Other people are really talking technically and how yeah. to do this and how to do that. And I'm trying to just get people to think and to realize like, you know, one, you gotta have more focus, but the time is really kind of the, you know, the underlying issue here that you're trying to get back and that it's most important and, and to live your life really. I mean, use your business as a catalyst. And so that's what the group's really striving to be and it's slowly growing uh, to be more and more. Well, Jeff Scadra, you're an awesome dude. Um, since we met, we, we connected right away. And I just felt that this audience would get a lot from you and your story. Um, and also, the other thing that I really wanted to tap during this was that there is a major change that's going on. And people are helping people uninstitutionally. And we're having smaller agency, boutique agencies like yourself helping them help the customer. So um, maybe give one last uh, shout out to... Uh, what you would like them to go to. Let's double down on that one more time. Absolutely, 100%. You can go to the Facebook group, 2X Agency Accelerator. You can connect with me on Facebook as well um, if you want to just talk and, and DM. And I'm a no-pressure sales guy. Like, I love just getting on and talking with people and, and helping solve problems, be that creative problem solver. Um, but join the group, you know, get involved. And, uh, you know, absolutely 100%. Let's, uh, let's keep this conversation going on, the, on that group. Well, that's amazing. Jeff, you're an amazing guy. And you brought one thing that I'm going to go back and I'm going to say to this because you reminded it to me from the very beginning of even myself. And that is you probably were an artist of some sort wanting to create and solve problems when you were younger. And that veers up to you being an entrepreneur today. So Jeff, thanks a lot for your help, um, giving me even help on certain areas. And um, thanks for coming on, my friend. Hope I have to have you again. Absolutely. Yeah, can't wait. Love talking with you. Thanks for having me.
All right, man. Thanks a lot. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.